The Christian church, for the most part these days, seems almost apologetic in reminding the world that history is about to come to a conclusion. We're not talking about climate change or nuclear war. We're talking about the real culmination of history prior to the second coming of the Lord Jesus. The Apostle Paul captured the mood of our generation when he wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5.3 that people are talking about peace and safety just when sudden destruction will come upon them like labor pains of a pregnant woman. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. The Passion Drama of Christ is one of the world's great spectacles, performed only once a decade in the German village of Oberammergau. The tour begins this September with two days in historic Prague, then on to Leipzig, the home of Bach. We'll walk through historic Wittenberg to learn about the Reformation fires set by Martin Luther, then on to Eisenach and the amazing castles of Bavaria, before ending with the historic highlight of Oberammergau. The week-long tour includes private coach travel, local guides, charming hotels with breakfast and dinner each night. For information, visit our events page on our website, exploits.tv. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. The New Testament prepares us to expect a time of sudden destruction, much as labor pains grip a pregnant woman. Also, just at the time that believers should be watching for the sudden appearing of Jesus, like never before, there's much confusion in our churches concerning eschatology. That's the study of the end times. So if you claim to be a believer in Jesus, yet you have no desire to see the sudden appearing of the Lord, returning for His beloved bride, then you're in spiritual danger of deception because you're simply not anticipating His sudden appearing. The Apostle Paul referred to the sudden appearing of the Lord as our blessed hope, a hope that serves to purify our hearts and our motives. We're certainly living in the unique time called the birth pains of Messiah. But my question is, are you eagerly watching for the coming of the Lord? In fact, are we all ready for His sudden appearing? You see, the doctrine of imminence of the sudden appearing of the Lord Jesus, like a thief in the night, is one of the basic doctrines of the New Testament. Believers in Jesus are supposed to be those who eagerly are watching for and actually love the very thought of His sudden appearing. We're supposed to be those who are looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus the Messiah. We're waiting not just for the redemption of our bodies, but also for the redemption of this world, which is beleaguered by earthquakes, fires, floods, and so forth. 
Climate change doesn't need to worry us if we believe that Jesus will return soon to take control of this planet. In fact, the New Testament describes believers as pilgrims in this world. Now, pilgrim may sound like an old-fashioned word, but basically it means that we're just passing through. This is not our permanent home because born-again believers are citizens of heaven. We're not supposed to be tied to this dying, fleeting world, but we're supposed to be eagerly waiting for the Son of God to appear for us from heaven. We're waiting for that time when overcomers will be changed. And along with King Messiah, in our immortal new bodies, we're going to rule a new heaven and a new earth, and the knowledge of the Lord will fill this planet. Now, to some, this may sound like fantasy or science fiction, but one of the most dominant themes of the New Testament is the believer's hope in the return of Jesus. In fact, the doctrine of the second coming is one of the most important subjects in the Bible because redemption of the world, of individuals, of nations, including the nation of Israel, will all find their culmination in the return of Jesus. Now, when a woman is about to give birth, it's useless to tell her to go home and wait a little while longer or to wait for a more convenient time. No, of course not, because the course has been set and the birth pains will only intensify until the baby is born. So it is that the birth pains of Messiah's second coming are intensifying all around us. And this world is never going to go back to the way it was. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus described the end time birth pains and various teachings about the coming of the Messiah are published almost daily in Israel. It's interesting that both Jewish and Christian eschatology, the study of the end times, have the following basic elements. The Messiah will be a human being descended from King David. He will deliver Israel from all their enemies. And he will lead the remaining Jewish exiled who are living in the diaspora of the nations back to the promised land. And the Messiah will bring universal peace. All of these qualifications just happen to describe the mission of Jesus of Nazareth. Only the reason why it doesn't appear that he has fulfilled all of these ingredients of Jewish messiahship yet is that Jesus's mission will not be completed until his second coming when he will reign as king over all the earth and this earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Jesus, Yeshua is his Hebrew name, will indeed at his return bring the longed for universal peace the wolf will dwell with the lamb and Ephraim and Judah will cease their jealousy and bickering. Now, remember, when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, the mother of Jesus, he prophesied that God would give her son the throne of his ancestral father, David. That prophecy is yet to be fulfilled in the near future. It's fascinating to me that both Jesus and the Jewish Talmud referred to the birth pains of Messiah. The Talmud is the central text of rabbinic Judaism, not biblical Judaism, but rabbinic Judaism. 
and the Talmud is the primary source of Jewish religious law and theology. For centuries in nearly all Jewish communities, the Talmud was the centerpiece of Jewish cultural life and was foundational to all Jewish thought and aspirations, serving as the guide for Jewish daily life and walk. So now, in the Jewish Talmud, there's a list of ten signs, interestingly called the birth pains of Messiah. Christians understand these birth pains refer to events leading up to the time when the whole nation of Israel will be birthed into the Messianic age. In other words, these are signs that occur before the second coming of Jesus. Now here are the ten signs as called from the Jewish Talmud. Number one, the Jews will return to their biblical homeland and the desert will blossom. Has this happened? Yes, of course. And it's been in our lifetime. When many Jews returned to the Promised Land in the 1800s, the soil was dry and barren. But Israelis have continued to invent new technologies to make the desert bloom and prosper. Not only that, but people from all over the world come to a research center in Israel's Negev to study how Israel grows things in the desert and how to fight the desert's conquest of land. Number two, the second birth pain, according to the Talmud, is that the world will be in a state of complete degradation. And degradation of moral values is certainly a serious issue affecting all manner of our existence. Moral values help people to distinguish between right and wrong and keep a lid on society. But what happens when moral values are eroded and lost? A quote from the father of the modern Indian nation, Mahatma Gandhi, is very appropriate. He said, if wealth is lost, nothing is lost. If health is lost, something is lost. If character is lost, everything is lost. Think about that. Birth pain number three, according to the Talmud, Truth will decrease and lies will prevail. And doesn't that exactly describe the world of the media? Have you ever seen so many lies and charges of lies that beset us just in politics, in the media alone? Number four, inflation will be out of control. Number five, there will be fewer and fewer wise, righteous persons. And that brought to mind Isaiah 57 verse 1, which declares that the righteous man perishes and no one takes it to heart. Devout men are taken away while no one understands. For the righteous is taken away from evil. It's interesting that when righteous people die, one reason that no one takes it to heart is because the world simply doesn't recognize the righteous. Just look at the headlines of a daily newspaper and you'll see plenty of gossip about celebrities and politicians but the works of the truly righteous people go unmentioned. An alarming feature of society is the loss of righteous members of a community. And God sometimes removes the righteous from earth in His mercy as a way of sparing them from calamities. You see, at first we may wonder why a certain person is taken away, but then circumstances prove that they were spared from some evil that was to come. Birth paying number six from the Talmud, 
many Jews will give up the hope of redemption. And number seven, the young will treat the old with disrespect. Number eight, learning will be rejected because people will desire a life of ease. Did you know in the time of the Puritans, people were so steeped in God's word that their very conversations were made up of whole lines and passages from the Bible. But today, even most professing believers aren't versed in basic Bible language because society and churchgoers have preferred lives of ease and entertainment. Number nine, the ninth sign of the Talmud's birth pangs of Messiah is that the whole world will turn against Israel. And I've certainly seen that come to pass. Years ago, when Israel was still popular and was viewed as a little fledgling, struggling nation like David overcoming the giant Goliath, I experienced a supernatural dream from God in which the Lord told me that I must stand with Israel someday when all the nations of the world turn against Israel. And I've seen it come to pass as resolution after resolution in the United Nations have singled out Israel for hatred and censure. Birth pang number 10, according to the Talmud, the Jews will fight each other, the secular against the religious. And we've also seen this coming to pass, particularly in recent times in Israel and elections as religious parties have clashed with secular politicians. And I believe one of the symptoms of the birth pangs of Messiah involves the alarming anti-Semitism that's working to actually activate Aliyah. And Aliyah is a Hebrew word which means immigration to Israel by Jews from all over the world. You see, the Jewish people are being shaken out of the nations by anti-Semitism. And God himself is allowing it. He's allowing this persecution to bring them home. Meanwhile, climate apocalypse is certainly a birth pain of the Messiah. Two-thirds of South Asia's disasters are reportedly climate-related. This old world is groaning with seismic activities. So-called climate apocalypse is a scenario involving the global collapse of human civilization and potential human extinction as either a direct or indirect result of climate change and ecological disaster. Under a global catastrophe, some or all of the earth may be rendered uninhabitable as a result of extreme temperatures, severe weather events, an inability to grow crops, or an altered composition of the Earth's atmosphere. So the clamoring to do something about climate change is another birth pain of the coming of Messiah. Global warming and climate change have become a new religion, so says a former Nobel Prize winner. CNN reported that six in 10 Americans believe extreme weather events are related to climate change but more than a third of Americans see recent extreme weather as a sign that the world is in biblical end times. In fact, 36% of Americans say that the severity of recent natural disasters indicate that we are at the precipice of Jesus' second coming and the end of the world, as predicted, for example, in the apocalyptic book of Revelation. 
That may sound far-fetched to cynics, but the book of Revelation is indeed apocalyptic literature that foretold climate change and great upheavals in the weather during God's coming day of wrath. You see, when God pours out his wrath on a God-rejecting world in the future, people will continue to be cynics, and many will not recognize God, and they will not duly repent. But instead, they will say these horrors are just the result of climate change. While so many birth pains of Messiah's coming are happening, simultaneously, there's a devilish confusion amongst believers about the event called the rapture and the second coming. There's much belittlement and mockery of the doctrine called the rapture, which in the Greek Bible is based upon the word hapazo, meaning to be violently snatched away. And in the Latin version of the Bible, the word for snatched up is where we get the modern word rapture to describe the sudden catching away of all believers when the Lord appears to gather us to himself in the atmosphere. Besides the controversial word rapture, there are many other words that describe the same concept in the Bible, such as the appearing of the Lord, the blessed hope, the catching away, the changing, the gathering of ourselves unto the Lord, our redemption, our transformation, or our translation, and so forth. There's a dangerous trend in evangelical circles today that discards discussion of the doctrines of the rapture and second coming. Unfortunately, believers have bought the lie that it's something confusing. But that too is an end time sign because recently I learned that from the early church writings, there was a prophecy that taught that toward the time of the end times, believers would fragment into many denominations and they would become very confused about the rapture and the second coming. I believe this prophecy has been fulfilled. In the book, The Rapture by Ken Johnson, the author takes us through history and documents how the pre-tribulation rapture of the church was viewed not only in the Bible, but also in the ancient church. Johnson's book, The Rapture, is a compilation of sources and references and I wish I'd written this book myself because it's a topic that's vitally important. According to the early church fragment, the following prophecy was stated. When the Messiah's coming is at hand, his disciples will forsake the teaching of the twelve apostles and their faith. His disciples will forsake their love and their purity. And there will arise much contention about the Lord's coming and his appearing. I submit to you, this is the case right now. There's indeed much contention about the Lord's coming and his appearing. But if people knew their Bibles, this wouldn't be the case. This is why Jesus told us to learn his parable of the fig tree, one of the symbols of the nation of Israel. In the Gospels, Jesus told his disciples a parable. He said, Behold the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they put forth leaves, you see it and know for yourselves that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, all of these birth pains, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not 
pass away until all these things take place. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The Lord explained to his disciples that between his first and second coming, a period which has turned out to be nearly 2,000 years, there would be general signs of his coming, such as false prophets, false teachers, earthquakes, natural disasters, war. And he said that there would be ongoing persecution of those who were true followers of himself. These things have been increasing like birth pains between the Lord's first and second comings. However, Jesus also told us to take note that as we get closer to the time of his return, we're to watch for a specific sign. And that is the blossoming of the fig tree, Israel, as well as we're to watch Jerusalem surrounded by armies and back in the hands of the Jewish people and no longer under the domination of the Gentiles. Furthermore, Jesus said to watch for something called the abomination of desolation that the Antichrist will set up, some sort of a blasphemous image in the rebuilt temple. And by the way, there's talk every day in Israel of rebuilding a third temple. However, the blasphemous sacrilege of the abomination of the Antichrist is going to trigger the countdown of the final time of the Great Tribulation, which will bring the world into judgment. It'll bring history into culmination. And it's also set by God to bring Israel to faith in the true Messiah. So these are momentous days, to say the least. But one of my great frustrations is that despite the increase in prophetic signs that virtually shout out the soon return of Messiah, many churchgoers who claim to be believers continue to be apathetic regarding the Lord's appearing. Ironically, this apathy is a symptom of the lateness of the hour, since the Lord noted that just before the time of his return, many believers would tragically fall into apostasy. And that's why Jesus asked his followers in Luke 18.8. He asked, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? We are repeatedly urged by him to watch, to be vigilant, to be ready for his coming. You also must be ready because Jesus said that he's coming at an hour that you don't expect. Another birth pain of Messiah in the end time sign is the sexual scandals and the controversy over celibacy in the Roman Catholic Church. The Apostle Paul predicted in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Now the Spirit expressly states that in the last times some will abandon the faith to follow deceitful spirits in the doctrines of demons. They will say it's wrong to be married. Recently in the news, there's been a clash between the Pope Emeritus Benedict and the current Pope Francis over the issue of whether or not priests should be able to marry. Some Anglican priests who converted to Catholicism after leaving their churches to protest the ordination of women have been allowed to continue in their ministries and in their marriages. Eastern churches also have married priests as a matter of course. There's no uncleanness or unholiness in marriage itself being God's ordinance. It is holy, 
because all God's ordinances are holy. Also, the scripture called marriage honorable and the marriage bed undefiled in Hebrews 13, 4, an important verse. Jesus warned us repeatedly not to be deceived by any of these things in the last days following up to his coming. So how can you and I avoid being deceived? We avoid deception by spending time in the Word of God and thoroughly studying this book. Yet false prophecies are abounding on the internet and throughout social media and these are hard to sift through because people no longer are submitting themselves to a local church and to local prophets who can test words. I find quite often somebody will be sending a word out over the internet about how God is going to save some celebrity and that celebrity is going to bring multitudes to Messiah in faith. This level of prophesying can be wishful thinking and as Jeremiah 23, 16 explains, people speaking visions out of their own hearts and minds and not necessarily out of the mouth of the Lord. There's too much spouting forth of one's own imaginations going around the internet. It's very possible that people have convinced themselves that they're speaking on behalf of God. But about a true prophet, there's nothing self-seeking, egotistic, conceited, impetuous, or seeking for attention. Generally speaking, a true prophetic word is often something very painful to speak and something humiliating for people to hear rather than some grandiose word of how God is going to use some celebrity or politician. Well, as we see many troubling signs all around us, and as I have to bring today's program to a close, I want to thank the Lord for the blessed hope that we have, the blessed hope that He's coming soon to rescue the godly. I thank the Lord that He's still calling out a people from among all the nations, even now, to Himself. And I hope and pray that you are one of them. It's vital that we have renounced all sin and received the Savior for ourselves. The good news, simply put, is that if we will admit we're sinners, if we will repent and turn from our wicked ways and put our faith in the Lord Jesus, putting all of our trust in Him and in His righteousness and confess Him as Lord, then the Bible promises we will be saved from eternal perdition. You see, the Bible says broad is the road to destruction, but narrow is the gate to salvation. And Jesus said he is that narrow gate. He is the door. The door, the gate to the Father in heaven has a turnstile, meaning we have to press into the kingdom of God one by one, one at a time, forsaking all of our own self-righteousness, and putting our faith in the finished work of the world's only Savior, Jesus, the Messiah. I hope you'll do that sooner rather than later, because He's coming. And now for your further edification, I want to tell you that we publish a free ministry magazine called Exploits, with articles about doing the works of the Lord, healing, deliverance, Bible prophecy, and end-time events. There's also a 24-7 library of video teachings at our website, exploits.tv, 
where you can read about our anointed prayer conferences in Jerusalem. And if you've been helped by this program, please encourage me by sharing on the social media. We also invite you to download our free Jerusalem Channel app from your app store that has information about our videos, ebooks, and a Bible reading plan. And so until next time, always contending for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Dar. Shalom and Maranatha. <laughs>